0: If you would please take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. We are slowly moving our way through this book. Um, and the focus of this book is Christ. Christ. And then, of course, our responsibility to believe. It's a major theme. I'm going to begin reading. Actually, the last, I'm going to just pick up the last verse of chapter 7, verse 53. Everyone went to his house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. And having set her in the, in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in in adultery, in the very act. Now, in the law of Moses, or in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They said, they were saying this, testing him, so that he might have, they might have grounds to accuse him, for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted, he he asked, uh, In asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped on the ground and, and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone with the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go, from now on, sin no more. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge that it is to our lives and how it corrects us and corrects our thinking. It, uh, it adjusts the way we live. It, it helps us to know what is right and what is wrong. It, it takes us down the, the right path. Lord, it is our privilege to be able to open this book and read from its pages but Lord, we cannot understand this book in its spiritual significance and its full understanding unless the Holy Spirit is working in our life. And Lord, I pray that He would work today and give us understanding and that we would be able to apply then this Word to our lives in a very practical, tangible way when we leave here today. That it may change our thinking that it may adjust our lives to conformity to your, your word, to your character, your very nature. Lord, we thank you. It is our privilege to be able to do this. Thank you, Father, for being a gracious God who forgives sin. As we will read about today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, sometimes I believe that we look at sin in the wrong way. We just kind of look at it from our perspective. Uh, we, we can understand sin as a sin nature, but so often we, we think of sin as just uh, an act of sin, a breaking the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments. But God's standards are much higher than just the Ten Commandments. That's kind of just the minimum. And we saw that when Christ came to earth and He began to teach. And uh, He goes through the Sermon of the Mount and He comes to uh, one of the commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery, He says. And you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. That He says, but I say unto you that if a man even looks at a woman to lust after her in his own heart, then he has committed adultery in his heart. So he raises the bar, and we begin to realize that the commandments is really just kind of the minimum. That God had just given the commandments just, just to keep us from going off the deep end. This is, this is just the base, this is just the bottom. But really, and, and we're just kind of getting by, we're really not living life to the glory of God when we're just barely keeping the commandments, And that's kind of what was happening with the scribes and the Pharisees. The the bottom line was just the the commandments and they were not getting to the heart of any issue. But we understand now that that sin is more than just breaking a commandment every once in a while. But sin is is just completely missing the mark. Missing the mark of God's glory. Paul says it like this. We've fallen short of the glory of God. The bar is, is up here. He created us, He created us to live for His glory, and we've, we, we don't measure up. We don't measure up at all. We, we are not living to the expectation that God has for us. We are His creatures, He has put His stamp upon us, His very image upon our lives, of who we are at our very core, and we're marring that image. We're marring that image in the way we think, in our thought life, in our motives, in our words. We mar God's image in the way we treat one another, our attitudes, our value system, what we think is important, our priorities. We are marring God's glory. We're not measuring up to God's glory at all. And then we we tend to also categorize sin we, we categorize it there are some sins that are worse than other sins now, we understand that um, they're all sin is the same to God but, but uh, Paul points out the fact that, that some sins have greater consequences than other sins and we see that from our perspective turn over to 1 Timothy let me just show you this little principle here um, 1st Timothy chapter 5. I just want to lay a foundation a little bit for what sin is so we can have a proper perspective on the passage we'll be going into. But 1st Timothy chapter 5, Paul points out in verse 24, he says, the sins of some men are quite evident. They're, they're right in front of your face. They're going to be condemned because of this. The the consequences are are so evident. They're just there. Everybody sees that. He now has to live with the consequences of his sin. Going uh, going before them into judgment. But others, or for others, their sins follow after. The consequences of their sin are not so evident. what What is he talking about there? Well, some sins... Some sins are, are evident. Some sins have immediate consequences. If my sons come to me, and uh, well, some sins have immediate consequences, and um, and some sins, uh, for example, maybe worrying, maybe uh, maybe just stretching the truth, maybe uh, uh, the the lack of uh, humility in our own life. Um, those those little sins. May come along later, but it will be evident to all. Every after a while, it will be evident. Some sins are, have immediate consequences. Now he he also parallels that with good works as well. It says, in verse twenty five. Likewise, also, deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. Eventually, those things are going to come out. Man's sin will be exposed. Now, and the consequences of those sins, and we understand this: the consequences of those sins are going to vary. Now, if my sons come to me, if my, um, you know, they come to me and say, uh, "Dad, you know, we were we were lax, we were not really obeying, we were playing ball in the house again, and we we accidentally broke the light fixture, we broke the light." Now, there's going to be some consequences to that sin. And I'm going to be disappointed. They're going to be disappointed. But if my sons come to me and, and they say, Dad, you know, we, uh, we needed a little extra money, so, so we went out and robbed a bank. The, the consequences are going to be bigger, greater for that sin. Get the, get the bag of money, boys. Get in the car. We're going to the police station right now. The consequences are, are greater. Consequences are different. And we understand that sin is sin in God's eyes, and we, we want to elevate and we want to understand those those there's no such thing as minor sins, but the consequences are greater. You have to admit that. And I bring that out because we have a, have a generation that's wanting to to kind of minimize the greater sins and minimize all sin ultimately but they want to take the stigma away from the taboo sins or the sins that we would think of today take away the shame take away the stigma from those sins from our society and the the they're using this idea of well all sin is sin before god's eyes well that might be true but i do not have to commit every sin just because of my uh, my sinful nature or to justify that i'm a sinner I'm a sinner by nature. It is enough that I'm a sinner by nature. I don't have to commit every sin. I'm not some kind of hypocrite if I, if I don't. But I want you to understand those elements of sin. There, there's just some, some, just kind of couching it, kind of understandment, understanding of sin. So that we can understand this passage a little bit better. So that we can have the right perspective. Some of the, some of the backdrop to this passage. Now let's go back to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Now this is just an illustration. This passage is an illustration of, of Christ's grace. And His compassion toward sinful a sinful person. An individual. Not just the masses but toward an individual person here. Now, I want you to to understand, and you might see brackets from verses 53 in the end of chapter 7 all the way down to verse 11. Because this story is not in the original text. It really doesn't show up in the manuscripts um, until about the 3rd or 4th century. And so... Uh, why would we have this in Scripture? Well, sometimes it's placed in Scripture in the book of Luke, in some manuscripts. Sometimes it was earlier in the in the book of John. But most feel that this is consistent with Christ's character. Most feel that that this is uh, consistent with the Word of God. And so they plug this in. They plug this little story into, into Scripture. And then it was in one of the manuscripts that the King James picks up and uses for and it becomes into our English Bible. But in the original, it, it may not have made it in there. But in God's providence, He has it in our Scripture today. And there's nothing wrong with it. It is consistent. So we'll deal with this in this passage. And here's what I want you to see from this passage. Again, it's an illustration of Christ's compassion. Don't read a whole lot into it. You have to understand sin, but it's an illustration of Christ's compassion for one sinner, for a sinful lady. And here's what I want you to see. The forgiving, compassionate nature of Christ does not condone sin, but encourages righteousness in every situation. It encourages righteousness in every situation. And the question we'll just look at today is, what is the proper Christian attitude toward a world full of sinners? Not just a sinful world out there. No, we have to deal with individual sinners on a daily basis. And Christ gives us, this this little story here, gives us an illustration of how to do that. Because let me tell you, it is hard it is hard to know what to do with such sinful people who are, who are just lying at work or who are not doing their job to the best of their ability. What do you do with those people? Now, in this story, we, we just want to break it down into really to three sections. The three individuals involved in this story are the scribes and the Pharisees, We'll lump them together and put them as one. We have Christ. And then we have this condemned lady. This lady caught in adultery. Now let's start with her. <clears throat> Number one. The condemned lady. Now she is condemned under God's law. Under the Old Testament. She is condemned really to death. She was caught. That's the name of my... The title of the sermon is just caught. Caught. It's a very interesting concept, but she was she was caught she was caught in adultery. She was drugged out into public, and set. Now all of a sudden she's set right in the middle of the courtyard, the temple courtyard, where everybody can see. Everyone is there, and she is put on trial. And that's exactly the way they want it to be. They want it to be very formal, a very uh, trial-like situation, and they orchestrate that. And Jesus then is supposed to be the judge. But notice. But Jesus is the one that's really on trial here, isn't he? He is the one that you're trying to catch. He is the one that you're after. This lady, she is just being used in this circumstances. They don't really care about her. We'll look at that in just a minute. But she's, she's caught. Sin had promised her one thing and it delivered another. And now she finds herself with shame, public shame, public humiliation. There's going to be ridicule. She will never live the stigma of this down. The woman caught in adultery. And she's facing death. Her life is over as she knows it. Now she could have been married. Or she could have been betrothed. Had a fiancé. We don't know. There's not a lot of detail. But we find that she's here alone. Of course the scribes and the Pharisees. They didn't bring the man. They just brought her. It kind of defeats the purpose For what they were trying to do. This kind of shows what they are. But her sin has been exposed. Her her heart has been opened. There's a window now directly to her heart that the world can see. And they and the world sees its its filth. It sees its its dirtiness, its ugliness. You know what? That's that's some of the greatest fear that we have as mankind. The fear that we'll be exposed, that people will see our sinful heart, that we will, we will be exposed as not as good as what people think we are. The heart likes to protect itself, doesn't it? The heart likes to defend itself from hurt and from harm. That's the tendency of the heart, the human heart, the sinful heart. Um. Uh, we don't want people to know how bad we really are. But her sins have found her out. She is now reaping what she has sown. And that, that reaping is going to be death. She is facing death here. Things are, are grim. Things are bad. But notice, she was brought to a Savior <laughs> Jesus Christ. And He is He is a God-man. He is the God-man. But He has come to save, to rescue. And He is a Savior by nature. That's just what He is. Let me make a point here. It is a good thing that she is exposed. It is a good thing that her heart is, is being... Shown here. It's a good thing that her sins have found her out, that her sins are now going to be having to be dealt with in this situation. Now, sometimes God exposes our sin, and God's in control of this, but sometimes God exposes our sin on an individual basis, and that's the way we like it. Then, then, really, that's the way it should be. That's the way God has orchestrated it. He dealt with Elijah. On a very personal basis. Elijah, he was in the sin of just self-pity. And he uh, he finds himself alone and, and just wallowing in his own self-pity. And God has to correct that. Jonah, almost the same kind of situation. His hatred toward the Gentiles. And God has to correct that. But he does so in a private manner and corrects those hearts, the hearts of those individuals. And, and that's when, that's where correction is best seen. That's when, that's when we like it. If we could be corrected in our heart on an individual basis, and that's a good thing. But sometimes, God allows correction to be made in the family. In the, in the context of a loving family where you have those who care about you will come alongside you and correct you with love. And that's, that's ideal too. That's good. Sometimes correction is done in the, in the context of a local church where there's just a, a few who know and no one gossips and it's in the context of, of a, a loving environment here. Let me show you this. Turn over to Galatians chapter 6. Um, Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. Here's, here's the way it should be. Galatians chapter 6. I'll just quickly read it. It says, Brethren... And this is the context of the church here. Brethren, even if one is caught in a trespass, he's caught in a sin. Like this lady, she was caught. You who are spiritual, there has to be some distinction there. You who are spiritual, you who see this and are are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of how? Gentleness. In the spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourselves. That's very important. Each one looking to yourselves so that you too will not be tempted. That's the, that's the environment in which correction should be made. That's the, the environment that God wants us to be corrected with. But she was not. It wasn't in the context of a church or the family or an individual, it, this was in a public forum. Public humiliation. And here she is stand, sitting right in the middle of the of the court. You know, personally I'd rather be corrected by the Lord in my heart. There's a there's a passage and this is kind of the way it should work. Let me just point this out. The second Timothy chapter three verse sixteen. And you know this passage, Um, it says all Scripture is inspired by God. So God inspired it, and it is profitable. So this Scripture that we have right here, it teaches us, and it reproves us, and it, what? It corrects us. It corrects us in our hearts for the training of righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. That's the way it should work. As we read through Scripture, God and, and through the work of the Holy Spirit corrects our heart. It convicts our heart, convicts our heart of sin, and we begin to realize, "Look, my life doesn't line up with this word," and, and so we're corrected, and, and we, we slide into place. That's the way it is to, wor- to work. David said it like this: "Search me, O God, and know my heart." See if there be any wicked way in me. Correct it on an individual level, on the on the individual basis. And we are those who we are those who confess our sins. First John, Christians, that's what we do. We confess our sins to God. We let God yes know. We let God know, yes, no, yes, Lord, we are sinful. Here's the way I sin in front of you. And we confess that. I like what J.C. Ryle says. He says, a, "A holy man will see more evil in his own heart than any other in the whole world." That's the way we need to live in this, in the world, in in the midst of of un. Believers in the midst of of sinful people, we see ourselves and we see our sinfulness, and we are convicted on the inside, and we realize that there's a standard that is higher than what we really can live up to without the enablement of the Holy Spirit. And that does something to the human heart, doesn't it? That uh, it's a healthy thing, it's a good thing that that brings humility. And let me point out something else about, about this. It's a good thing that God corrects us. It's a good thing to, to, uh, for our sin to be exposed. It's a good thing for us to be caught rather than God letting us just go our own way. And just living in our sin. Paul e- explains this. He explains this as a, a, a passive judgment of God. That God just pulls back His grace and lets you go down the road you want to go down. He gives you over to the sins that you want to pursue. The passage that you want to pursue. And His grace is just being pulled off of your life in a form of a judgment. And you're just doing what you want to do. And you begin to realize where you are and how sin has just devastated your life so it's a good thing that that God corrects us but listen this she was caught she was caught but this was not a gentle environment these these men meant death they were going to kill her and they were serious they were serious about this look at the uh, number 2 the the unqualified ju- judges unqualified judges now christ points this out that they are unqualified to to be these judges but look in verse 2 the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and having set her in the center of the court and he said uh, a teacher she's been caught in adultery in the very act and and all of this just it just Sounds like a trap. It sounds like they've they've concocted this, and they're gonna they know what she's going to do, and so they're gonna they're gonna catch her. It was early in the morning already, and they're going to be there. I mean, it just it sounds a little. My my mom used to say fishy. I don't know. Did your mom used to say that? That's a little fishy, and and, and that's just it's a little fishy. There's something not quite right about this. And Jesus, knowing their heart, He gets right to, the, right to the issue. In fact, He wants them to think about what they're doing. And I think that's why He has a, a little bit of a delay. But they are not concerned about this woman at all. They, um, they are using her to catch Jesus. They are not concerned about her righteousness. They are not concerned about justice. They are not concerned about the, the glory of God. They're just concerned about getting her and trapping Christ. And this woman was going to die as a result of this. And Jesus, there was only one problem. Jesus knew their heart. Jesus knew what was going on. He saw this trap. He saw the hypocrisy that was in their life and in their heart full of sin. They could not hide that from Christ, and Christ actually brings conviction upon these men. He says to them, now he stoops down at first, and it says that he wrote in the ground. What did he write? Well, it doesn't really say what he wrote. In fact, the word wrote there is just to draw, but in the context, you can see that it would be right. Um, it, some would say, you know, he was quoting a verse, writing out a verse from the Old Testament that they would have known, and about being witnesses, and there's plenty of that. He might have been writing just different sins, and you've seen that. I don't think there's any vindictiveness on the part of Christ. I think He's he's just giving them time to think about what they're doing and how sobering this is that they're getting ready to kill this lady based upon their own, their own judgment, their own witness here. And then He says, here's what He says in verse 7, but when they persisted in asking, it seems like Jesus didn't even want to be a part of what they were doing. But He straightens up and he says, he says, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Now according to the Old Testament, if you were an eyewitness of the event, then yes, you were to be the first one to throw a stone, to, to, to do the the, the damage to her. To pick up the stone and, and to hit her first. And then other people were to, to rally round in that, in that situation. But he points out, he realizes that they themselves were not qualified to judge this lady because of their, their sinful heart. Their, their heart was far from God. Their motives were self-glorification. Their heart was full of sin. And here the, the principle is unrighteous, unbelieving judges cannot judge matters of the heart. This is a matter of the heart. So he brings conviction upon these men. And this lady is, is caught right in the middle. Now, let me point this out, that it is not a matter of standards. It's not a matter of high standards. Jesus upholds the standards of the law. It's not a matter of that. He doesn't doesn't condemn the law. Um, In fact, what we see, it is a a good thing to have high standards. It's a good thing to have a, a good reputation and to do what is right and be known for what is right. In fact, Daniel's Bible Church is founded upon that idea that there can be godly men we have to have godly deacons and godly elders that match the qualifications of God's Word here to do what they do. We have to have godly Sunday school teachers that will have the integrity to teach faithfully the, the Word of God. So these scribes, Jesus does not attack them for their, for their low standards or for, for their standards at, at all. Now they had missed, the scribes and the Pharisees, they, they had missed the point of standards. We talked about this in Sunday school today. They were using standards some way to get to God, to get, gain favor with God. They were using standards for salvation. Standards were never meant to be used for that. The, the, the law and standards were just to expose our sins. They were just warnings. They were red lights. Don't do this. Don't go down this direction. Don't go down this road. Standards and the law, actually, and upholding high standards is not to get salvation or not to get to God, but is to glorify God. Do you see the difference? We have high standards for the glory of God. Not to get to heaven in some way, not to not to earn our salvation, but it's after the fact, and it's to glorify God in the process. These were unjust witnesses; they were unjust. Let me uh, point out another word. Just look over in Galatia, um, I'm sorry, in uh, Exodus chapter twenty three. Interesting verse. Interesting to go back to, I would challenge you to do this, to go back and look at the, at the uh, um, requirements of a witness. of requirements of the witness of the Old Testament. If you witnessed something that was wrong, what was, what was supposed to be done to you and, and how you were to be qualified. But let me just bring it down to this one verse here. It says, You shall not bear false um, report. Do not not join your hand with a wicked man to be a malicious, malicious witness. Now that's exactly what they had done, isn't it? Let's catch this lady. We will set over here in secret. Now we're not going to stop her from doing what she wants to do. We're going to watch her and we're going to catch her and we're going to take her out. And then we will have uh, we'll have a, a, a trick for Jesus. We'll, we'll trap Jesus. They could have stopped this lady, but they didn't. See the malicious witness. See see their heart. They were not spiritual leaders at at all. They were, just, they were using this lady for their own gains. They were malicious witnesses out to get Christ. So often we use standards, we use the law, we use the stigmas of society to dig at each other. We are so often malicious witnesses. I'm talking about within the church and with outside of the church. And and we use those to, to push and to jab and to cut and to criticize. You're not living up. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. And we become malicious witnesses. We have the same kind of heart that these men did. We want to see justice done and and if it means putting her to death, let's let's kill her. And uh, we don't realize the harshness, the sin in our own hearts. But because of their sinfulness, they just disqualified themselves. They too should have been stoned. If you look at the qualifications of a witness in the Old Testament, they would have been they would have been. Stoned as well. And the, the indications here was that they were probably uh, convicted. They were probably um, guilty of the same sin that this woman was involved in. And how did they respond to that? Well, Jesus gives some, them some time to think about it. He says in verse 8, and he again stooped down and wrote on the ground. Uh, he might have been writing sins to point out these things, to reemphasize his point. But I don't think he had to say anything. I don't think he had to say anything. Let's look at the, the all-wise Messiah. The all-wise Savior. And that they were, they were pitting Jesus against Moses. Jesus' word against Moses' word. Or the law. They were, com- they were uh, pitting Jesus' compassion. His ministry was known for its compassion. And they were pitting that against justice justice. But Jesus turned it around on them because He knew their heart. In verse 9 it says, and when they heard it, they began to go out one by one. On an individual basis they went out. Why? Because of the guiltiness of their own heart. Now there's there's something amazing about this. How conviction works. But Jesus, Jesus just being a righteous man, a righteous person, with righteous attitudes and, and words, a righteous message, listen, it brought conviction upon these men. They knew they can't get this man. There's nothing unrighteous about him. He is not going to be swept up in the emotions of the the event and make some kind of rash decision. He's just not going to do it. We're caught in our own trap. And who was caught? Jesus actually caught them with their own heart, convicted by their own sinful heart. Now, how are they going to use that? Well, that would be interesting. But they were convicted. I think they were just convicted by who this man was, and the way he handled himself, and his attitude. And they were also convicted, of course, by their own sinfulness. I I think Christians are that way in the world. I I think if we have the right words, the right message, with gentleness, and we're we're living a a righteous lifestyle, we're going to bring conviction upon the world. That conviction is going to be seen as high standards and they're going to say, oh, you're you think you're better than everybody else. Well, that's not that's not the point at all. And and the world, or it seems like the church now is saying, well, we'll lower our standards so that the world will, will accept us a little bit better. That's not that's not the point. It's really never going to work. These high standards are to, to glorify God. But these high standards often, they just bring conviction to the world. And it's part of that. It's part of God's grace upon the world. The church has a, a good influence upon the world. And it's good that we're out into the world so that we, we have that, that grace effect upon them that retards sin, that holds sin at bay. Now they still have a sinful nature. But because of our influence sometimes in the world, they're not going to do they're not going to carry their sin as far as they maybe would have if we weren't there. There's that, that preserving effect upon the world, or that 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 effect that, that keeps decay at at bay a little bit longer. And that's what's happening here. Christ was that man. He was that, that righteous Savior. And He was so wise in the way He handled them. He didn't excuse her sin. She was still sinful. He, uh, he was not eliminating the, the standard. He was not eliminating punishment this lady will be punished. The stigma that that will carry along with her the rest of her life will will be there. She will have to go home to a husband or to a a, a a fiance that will say what happened today. She's going to have to live with the consequences of of this sinfulness. And Jesus knows her heart as well, and He treats her with compassion, with kindness. Verse 10 says, straightening up, Jesus said to her. So they, they had already gone. They had realized, well, we're not going to be able to catch Jesus. And he turns it around upon them. So, so Jesus is left with her. and The woman where he said to her, woman, and, and that's not a derogatory term. It was a, a term that he'd used toward his mother before. and So it wasn't a bad, bad term. He says, woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? He he has rescued her. Does no one condemn you? And she said, No, no one, Lord. And he said to her, I, I do not condemn you either. It's only God that convict, can really forgive sin. Now, what does he promote, though? What does he say? He says, From now on, do not sin. Do not continue on in your sinful lifestyle, is what he says. Don't do this ever again. He's promoting righteousness. Christ himself says, I I didn't come to judge the world. I didn't come to condemn the world. The world through him might be saved. He's come to rescue them. Listen, our posture... Our posture in a sinful world, as we deal with sinful people, is to promote righteousness. Now, we can take the Word of God and we can rip them up. We can take the Word of God, and and, and even in the church, and we can just rip each other to shreds. And hold ourselves up as the standards. And go out into the world and hold ourselves up as the standards. And rip the world up and say, you're doing it all wrong. You're messing up God's universe. And we have every right to say so. But I think if we live a godly life, I think that will speak volumes. That will speak volumes. We do not have to go out into the world with malice in our heart, with anger in our heart. And be a malicious witness against the world we can go out to a world that I'm telling you is getting worse and worse. And the decay is getting worse and worse. The sins, we are going into sins that are would even be unspoken many years ago. But we're going to we're gonna have to face a, a sinful world. Sinful individuals that are committing sinful acts. And we're going to have to be gracious... We're going to have to be gracious. And the only way we're going to know grace is to experience that from God Himself. We need to understand our own sinfulness, don't we? We have to be very careful because we could fall into the same sins, and it's only by God's grace. Now, it's not going to be easy. It's not easy. To be in the world of sinful people. It takes wisdom. And we have to look at the example of Christ here. And how how sly He was. How He turned the tables on these men. But here's the thing. The Lord will probably use you, and maybe even this week, to expose someone's sinfulness. To confront their sin Maybe at work, maybe in the church, maybe outside the church, maybe saved or unsaved. But the Lord may use you to bring someone. But let me, let me just challenge you. That can be a moment of deep conviction for that person. And maybe the Lord is, is working in that heart to expose that heart that their lives will just be completely turned around. For some reason, the Lord has allowed that to happen. That, that exposure of their sin... My challenge to us is that when we do go out to this world, that we we be compassionate. That we see the compassion of Christ as an illustration of our own life and how we have to deal with a, a world that is harsh, a boss that is harsh, that is just plain mean, that doesn't like us, that is just sinful. We can be compassionate because our Savior was compassionate. We deserve death. You know, we were right there. We were in the middle of the courtyard. And the gavel was getting ready to come down. Guilty as charged. Stoner. Stone us. And Christ spoke up. Christ rescues. Christ saves. He is a saving God. He wants to promote righteousness in this world Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank You for these thoughts and Your Word. Thank You for this story, this illustration of of Christ's compassion, His forgiveness. Help us not to be bittered toward a world that is so sinful, that's hard for us to even relate to. Father, it would be so easy to be embittered against them. But Lord... Help us to have the compassion that we see, even when even when we're under trial, when, when the world is trying to catch us. Lord, help us to be help us to be gracious. We thank you for your love and kindness to us and your grace in our life, completely undeserved as sinful people. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen.